Hi, everyone. This is Erica Spicer-Mason, writer and editor with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Joe Marino, the Chief Operating Officer at Human People Solutions, who will discuss how to optimize your talent acquisition strategy. Joe, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled to have you. And before we get into our discussion, I thought it might be helpful for our listeners to hear just a little bit more about you, your background and your role, whatever you'd like to share. Sure. I started my career in talent acquisition in 2001. So for about 22 years, I've been in the talent acquisition space. My entire career has involved in some way sort of consulting and providing guidance, providing guidance for organizations. Uh, all of that talent acquisition time has spe been spent within the healthcare industry. And my organization, which is Human People Solutions, many people ask us, uh, did we spell our name correctly? Because it's spelled H-U-E-M-A-N, and the answer is yes. We purposely created our name as Human People Solutions because we focus as an organization on culture and engagement, and every organization has a hue. They have a culture. And we want to make sure when we provide talent acquisition services to them and recruiting services to them, that we spend the thoughtful amount of time and the appropriate amount of time to understand their culture, to make sure that we can find the right folks that will be successful in their organization. And I sit as our chief operating officer. I also sort of have a dual title as our chief growth officer. I like to think of myself as our chief creative officer as well, because I try to come up with solutions that will actually impact the industry, not just even our own organization and the clients that we serve. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Joe. And I appreciate the backstory too about the name human um, and where that comes from and this focus on culture and engagement. I know that will certainly ring true for a lot of our listeners as so many organizations are really trying to better their organizational culture. So excited to dig into that some more. Um, but before we do, I wanted to just kind of ask you about some of these broader trends that we're seeing with the healthcare workforce. We know that the workforce challenges unfortunately continue and these challenges are hurting hospital performance in many ways. So based on what you're hearing from healthcare leaders, what are those persistent barriers in recruiting retention, and also engaging their staff. Yeah, yeah, and those areas definitely continue to put up barriers, right? There's definitely barriers that all the leaders are facing. And, you know, on the human side of things, we've been sourcing, screening, and recruiting candidates for many years. You know, this current year, we'll have recruited about 40,000 candidates that got hired for our clients, and we do that under the brand of our partners under our client under the brand of our clients, uh, and in the last you know ten years, it's been over over a quarter million hires. So we have a lot of experience, firsthand experience, interacting with candidates and then interacting with hiring managers to be able to sort of comment on recruiting, retaining, and I think you also mentioned sort of engagement. And I think when I think about the challenges in recruiting, really stems from how much energy and resources they're putting into the recruitment function? And are they actually thinking that that recruitment function is a strategic part of their overall talent strategy? Because most organizations still handle recruiting within the healthcare industry as they did 10 and 15 years ago. You know, we always say that 
the recruitment function should really be the only function in HR that has a sales bent to it because you need to aggressively go out and engage candidates for hard to fill roles, clinical roles, nursing roles, other bedside clinical roles, staff positions. Those are hard to fill. So we continue to see that the internal teams face those challenges because they're a little bit stuck in sort of where they were five to 10, 15 years ago. We think that they should be open to experimenting with new models, new technology. Most organizations that are set up to have an internal recruitment team focus on a non-cohesive strategy, sort of more of a shotgun strategy. They're trying new, sometimes they'll try new things, but they're not strategically aligned with the overall goals of the organization. Some are, but we see that that's sort of a barrier. And on the retention side, we continue to see that hospitals are understaffed in units. I mean, they've done a good job in the last 12 to 18 months to reduce premium labor. They're reducing travel nurses, other travel clinical positions, even overtime. That's starting to come down, which is a good thing. And that's helping their overall bottom line. But that's a product of our economy and where we are today. Most organizations didn't transform their retention efforts, and now retention is better. They actually had retention come down because from our perspective, a lot of candidates were a little bit worried, right? Like, let me sort of settle down and stay in my job and maybe get some experience and increase my tenure in my role because I'm not really sure what's gonna happen in this next six to 12 to 18 months. I think what we're gonna see as things stabilize, we'll see naturally retention will degrade a little bit. Um, and I think on the engagement side, it still really sits with hiring managers, right? Or, you know, retention is still tied to people leaving organizations with respect to their managers, right? They leave because of their manager, not because of the organization, not because of compensation. It impacts it, compensation, but it's not the main driver. And on engagement, we see organizations that do well on engagement are spending a lot of time having their hiring managers round and continue to do that. And they're not taking the open door policy. Like my door is always open. That sort of means, well, I got to go to the principal's office, Erica, to be able to, you know, have a conversation about my job satisfaction versus actually having the hiring managers just spend time on the floors with their people, understanding how they're feeling. Um, and, and I think overall that if they continue to do that and they continue to increase the amount of time that they're rounding, the engagement scores will go up because they'll actually know what their workforce is feeling. Not the overall, not the overall organization's workforce, but their team's workforce, team of 10, team of 20, team of 50. That's what's important because the hiring manager, as I mentioned before, is the key driver to retention or conversely turnover. Yeah, thank you so much for outlining all of that, Joe. I really appreciate the way that you outlined Everything that it sounds like hiring managers are working on, it sounds like their hands are full and there's this big expectation for them to be very hands-on, whether that's engagement or recruiting, um, especially if they're using some of those tactics, as you said, from 10 to 15 years ago. So I wanted to just follow up on, you know, given all of these challenges, how are you seeing hospitals and health systems navigating these issues? Um, can you describe some of the strategies that you're seeing there? Sure. Yeah, they're definitely sp spending time and energy on the barriers that we just touched on. 
one of the things that we're seeing is, is they continue to have a challenge with budgets, right? When you think about sort of talent and your talent strategy, it's not necessarily sort of concrete, right? The ROI on, on any investments doesn't produce results in the next two to three, six months. Sometimes it, it, it does take a little bit longer. And so what we're seeing is the, the strategic HR leaders, chief HR officers, heads of talent, they're, become, they're starting to partner with their internal teams, such as finance, to help them to create the proper business case, which then allows them to track and monitor the ROI, the return on investment for any investments that they're making. We don't see that happening everywhere. Right? We're only seeing that happening within those organizations that one, truly allow HR to have a seat at the table at the C-suite. And then there's a strategic leader that has the energy and the dynamics to, or the energy and the background to be able to support those discussions. We also see some organizations, they're leveraging expert or sub experts, subject matter experts, HR consulting firms, other groups that really can bring an outside perspective and bring data and analytics to the conversation to then be able to create a baseline off of where their business case can be created. And I think on the talent acquisition front specifically, you know, we provide an outsourced recruitment model, right? Our main service is recruitment process outsourcing. We do some talent acquisition consulting as well. And the organizations that are open to learning about them, they don't have to necessarily engage an organization like Human People Solutions. But if they talk to us and just hear what we're doing in an open forum, they will be able to take back very tactical components of what we do and make their talent acquisition functions more effective and produce better results. And that typically happens at that VP level, strategic leaders at the director level within talent acquisition. And when I think about, I mentioned sort of technology, I think technology is important, but data and analytics is even probably more important. Most of the organizations that are out there within the healthcare system world and even individual hospitals, they have a lot of data. They use data to make decisions on how they treat patients and their clinical protocols. But they don't do a great job of managing the data and leveraging the data from their HRIS systems to be able to look at trends, not only in retention and turnover, but also on the front end with respect to number of candidates that are applying for jobs, number of candidates that get to the interview process. How long does it take to go from an application stage to getting an interview and, and looking at the data and saying, hey, I've got four out of 50 managers that are taking too long to interview candidates. Why is that? It's easy to say, the data may say that manager is not fast enough, but that manager may be covering for two other managers because there, there's leaves that are happening or they have some type of turnover that's happening proactively within the organization. That's fine, right? Use the data to make decisions, but you have to layer on all the operational components that go into managing those people. And, but they have the data, they just need to access it. Bring on a business analyst, use an external group to analyze initial data and create a better plan for the future. That's what we're seeing some organizations do, but you'd ask sort of what are they doing? That's sort of what they're not doing is leveraging data to their fullest capacity. Mm, I appreciate you expanding on the technology piece because I, I did have a follow-up question about that. Um, you know, you mentioned yeah. some of these metrics that organizations can track on the HR side of things with 
data and analytics, such as time it takes to get to the interview stage, turnover, and other operational measures. In your partners that you've worked with, have you, are there any measures or metrics that are really surprising organizations when they have this capability all of a sudden to look at it? So definitely, yeah. I mean, the, the data will sometimes confirm some of the assumptions that are made by leaders, which isn't bad. That's a good thing. But in many time, in many cases, they've never really looked at all the time and stage data that I was referring to. And it really, it starts if you're using, so if an organization is using an HRAS system that has a built-in applicant tracking system, or if they're using a separate applicant tracking system from the HRIS, they typically, unless they have a candidate relationship management tool, different from a customer relationship management tool, right? So a CRM on the candidate side will allow you to look at data sort of top of funnel for candidates. So how many website hits are you getting? How many page views are happening when you're putting out sort of advertising for jobs? Do you have good organic flow? So job, so candidates that come to you without having to click on an advertisement on Google, as well as sort of how your paid advertising is working. So when you look at all that data, the surprise tends to be either we're spending dollars in the wrong place. Why are we doing this? That's the question that often gets asked by senior leaders, especially CFOs. Why are we doing this if we're not getting candidates and getting hires from that? And then the use the surprise typically is, wow, we've got a couple of hiring managers that are rated really well, but they're performing poorly when we look at their data around talent acquisition. And nine out of 10 times, that's because they have too much on their plate. They are good leaders. They just don't have the bandwidth to do certain things. And so the surprise that comes out of the data is, well, how can we solve that? In some cases, we say, let us do the pre-screen interview, and we put candidates self-scheduled candidates right on your calendar. You don't have to look at them. In some cases, we actually are the ones doing the interviews and making some of the selections if the candidates meet certain criteria. We could help with the selection and if you're looking at high volume positions. So the data is very eye-opening in many cases. Absolutely. And I imagine that having that at your fingertips would allow those teams to pivot much more quickly than they would have in the past. Um, so really interesting. Thank you so much for elaborating on that a little bit more. And I know we've already kind of touched on some of at least what I think are probably these key elements of an effective talent acquisition strategy, but I was wondering if you could just lay out those elements for us, um, in your own words, those key elements of an effective talent acquisition strategy and anything that you'd like to share about humans approach here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, to me, the way that an, you can evaluate and determine if your talent acquisition strategy is effective, it's actually pretty simple, but, and I'll share with you sort of five components of how we look at it. And I think that is the way to look at any talent acquisition function. And then when you peel back the layers of those five areas, that's where it can become a little more complicated, but that's actually where it becomes fun because you can actually start to make change. And it's pretty simple, right? You can write down these five areas and self-assess. You could do it through an analytical review or you could do it based on your gut. But make sure you're honest if you do it through your gut. How do you rank from a percentile perspective in each of these five areas, right? There's the people component, which is your recruitment team, recruiters, if you have sourcers, uh, recruitment coordinators, as well as your recruitment manager, right? That's one. 
The second is your process, your recruitment process. The third is the technology that you're using around the entire recruitment function. The fourth is recruitment marketing specifically, right? Digital recruitment marketing, if I put a finer point on that. Not marketing, that is marketing for your brand, but recruitment marketing. And then reporting. How are you using analytics and data to make decisions and hold yourself accountable? So people, process, technology, recruitment, marketing, and reporting. If you evaluate your talent acquisition function on those five areas, and you can say that you're operating in the 90th percentile, top 10%, then you have a highly functioning talent acquisition function within your organization. If in any of those areas you feel like you're sort of a B, and you're in that 50th to 75th percentile, well, give yourself credit because you're higher than most organizations, but there's still a lot of opportunity. And all five of those areas work in concert with each other. You could have phenomenal people and they will do a pretty good job because that is a key component. But if you have nothing happening on the technology side or a poor process, you're going to engage the candidate and you're never going to get them through the process and you're going to miss out on those eight candidates. And when I think about how human does it, we focus on all five of these every single day. It's our core competency. That's what we do. We've got over 400 employees that focus on recruiting every single day and leaders that focus on creating a great process every single day. And if I draw out sort of one specific area that may be a little bit of a surprise to folks, the process is how you configure your applicant tracking system and then the technology side on the applicant tracking system relates to, is that applicant tracking system set up to create the best experience for the candidate? And I'll say that again, the best experience for the candidate. Most applicant tracking systems are set up to have an okay experience for candidates and an efficient process for recruiters and hiring managers. In the healthcare space, that doesn't work because the key positions are the hard to fill positions and you have to create the easiest access to be able to apply and engage from a candidate's perspective. Some of the largest applicant tracking systems that are tied to HRISs don't even have programmatic advertising built in to the recruitment marketing component of their ATS. And, and there's a couple of them that do that and they've missed the boat. And configuring the applicant tracking system can be really challenging. We do that. We'll help configure applicant tracking systems. We'll provide advice as far as our recruitment process outsourcing partnership goes for free because that's what we want to do. We want to have an optimized system and an optimized process. Hopefully that's helpful, Erica. Yeah, that's very helpful. I think the way that you outlined it so simply with those five areas, people, process, technology, recruitment, marketing, and report, I think that'll be really helpful for our listeners. And just to tag on to that a little bit, have you seen any of your partners really hone those five areas and have you seen success? In, in that strategy. I would love to hear any quick examples if you have any that are top of mind. Sure, yeah, yeah, a couple of different things. We've seen some of our partners after just talking with us will sort of engage. When they become our client, then in some cases we do all the recruiting. So we're able to focus on all five of those areas. And usually we can get four of those five areas in the, in the top you know, 20% to 10% within the first six months. There's usually one or two that we can't control. For example, if they have a long-term partnership and a contract with their HRIS and ATS provider and it's configured inappropriately, right, then it takes a little bit more time to sort of dig into that. And we've seen, you know, I think about sort of the reporting piece and holding yourself accountable. We have one partnership, great partnership where we manage and lead 
our own recruiters that represent about two thirds of the recruiters that provide the recruiting support for that organization. The other third of those recruiters are actually employed by our client and we still lead them directly. So it allows us to provide all the best practices on the people in the process side because we can deploy and manage them appropriately. And yeah, I'll give you one example, Erica. One of, one of our clients, the CFO is highly engaged. They had high premium labor with travel nurses and travel therapists and some other travel clinicians. And they made a decision that they were going to reduce that. And what they did was they actually reduced their overall capacity in the units where they had high traveler usage. And they partnered with us on the talent acquisition side to say, we're going to do this and we need you to replace those travelers with core staff. And so it was a combined effort with HR, talent acquisition and finance to come up with that program. And in the short term, they had a little degradation in their revenue, but in the long term and long term was six months later, it's not that long. Travelers were reduced, but, and they saved over $20 million a year and their overall census was able to be support was able to grow because they now had staff and they could utilize any kind of overtime in a more appropriate way. And it was a win-win all around. Really appreciate you sharing that example, Joe, that the savings of 20 million, it's quite compelling. So uh, appreciate that example. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, great. Well, I know we are nearing the end of our time together, but I just to kind of round out our conversation, I'd love to know your thoughts as we're heading into 2024. Hard to believe that that's just a couple of weeks away. But as we get into the new year, you know, what is your advice for healthcare leaders as they work to strengthen their teams and make improvements in their workforce? Any final thoughts on that or takeaways? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'll I'll say I sort of three things. One is be open to change and new ideas, even if you can't implement something in the short term. You, just, you have to learn. You've got to be open to new ideas. With respect to talent acquisition, talk to folks like human. Talk to other groups that can be creative. Again, even if you don't implement the ideas, fire some you know, bullets, not cannonballs, when you're referring to Jim Collins, right? Try little things where you can find some dollars to invest. And maybe that sets you up for some, some changes in your strategy sort of later in the second half of 24. And then the third thing is, and I mentioned this before, you know, engagement and culture matters. Just because your retention has improved, don't rest on your laurels because if things get challenging, your retention could take an unfavorable step back in the near future. So don't rest on your laurels on the engagement front. Mm. Those are great three pieces of advice, Joe. Thank you so much again for joining the podcast today and sharing your insights. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Wonderful. And we'd also like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Human. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.